You're listening to Work by 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 Work on air. This conversation was recorded live at the White Hotel in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as part of Work by Work on Air, a four-day pop-up radio lounge designed to explore creativity and storytelling through the lens of artists, musicians, writers, podcasters, activists, and innovators in the ever-relevant medium of freeform radio. In this hour, Richard Fleming, co-host of Radio Shack and project producer of At Amazing Barbershop, in conversation with artist and art director of Howl, Ted Reederer. I'm here with the artist Ted Reederer, who has a fantastic project that I found extraordinarily appealing. And I know that Jake, as my partner in vinyl crime at Clock Tower, um, is also, he, you might not know that much about this project yet, Jake, but, but um, you're going to totally dig this. Um, but I should introduce Ted by saying that he is the founder of Never Records. Why don't you explain to us first a little bit, what, what is the idea? What, what's going on here with Never Records? Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here, of course. Paying back the favor, we just had Richard write an essay for a catalog for a show we just did at the gallery I work at. Um, Never Records is a conceptual art project that really has very little to do with music, which you might find shocking because it seems to be all about music, but Essentially, it's about this fellowship of shared performance. And in a sense, what I'm trying to do is foment cultural ecstasy, which is a quote I stole from Alan Lomax in his book about Jelly Roll Morton. He talks about the period before a genre coalesces into a nameable form of music like jazz, in the case of Jelly Roll, there, it being preceded by a, a period of cultural ecstasy. And I kind of feel that's the mission of artists. Artists should be always working on that, working towards that. So Never Records is a very simple idea. I go to a city, I open up a record shop. It could be in an abandoned space, a gallery, a museum, or a storefront. And then over the course of usually 21 days to a month, I fill the record shop with recordings that I make in the shop. And I have a vinyl lathe that I bought in Germany, cut them straight to vinyl, and nothing's for sale. That's the inscrutable part. That's why it's called Never. That's right. It's like the existential. It doesn't really exist. But I cut two copies of the vinyl, one for me, one for my archive, and one for the artist who performs. And the archive travels to the next city. And you have to come by... You have to listen to the music by coming to the shop. So it's sort of... Uh, anti-virtual community, it's an actual community, because I, I really feel this need for actual communities, especially right now. Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, we should, we should mention that you're also running the Howl Happening art space in the Lower East Side, and with that very idea in mind that this is going to be, or it can, can be, the kind of community that existed in the East Village 25, 30 years ago. I got very, very lucky when I moved to New York and I met this wonderful man named Arturo Vega who was the artistic director for the Ramones. And um, 2013, he passed away and this amazing woman, Jane Friedman, set up this gallery in his name. And I quit my job and I started running this gallery. And it's, it's an amazing space. Our board of directors are the people that made 
the East Village cool. Bob Holman, who founded the Bowery Poetry Club, BG Hacker, who was a manager at CBGB's, Brian Butterick, who did all the original drag shows at the Pyramid Lounge, Chichi uh, Valenti, who did Which the I mother. was at, at like every Sunday night for like five years at the Pyramid Club. I mean, these are the people that define the East Village. Watching that men we, in lingerie. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's my life now. Um, I'm wearing some right now. You can't see in radio land, but... Um, so we do, uh, we do um, affordable housing workshops, affordable health insurance workshops. We have an uh, emergency help fund with the Actors Fund. So anybody in the East Village, you can find out all about this on HowArts.org. But anybody in the East Village, if they have problems with housing or health insurance, you call this number and the Actors Fund will like bend over backwards to assist you. So I landed in like a very special place and I'm very happy to be there. I hate to say it, but I have to say, make the East Village great again. It's happening. I mean, you know, I have this calculus where they talk about the downtown 500, that there was only 500 people that went to Max's Kansas City and 500 people that went to Mercer Arts and 500 people went to all the art shows. At any given opening we have, there's at least two, 250 of those people are there and they're all still there. Yeah. I mean, June Leaf, uh, Robert Frank's partner who just had her big show at the Whitney, she just walked in the gallery the other day. She's in her 90s. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're all there and all they need is a space that's not pretentious, that's not in it for the wrong reasons and they come. And that's, that's the success of how we're a nonprofit and we're doing stuff for the right reasons. So. Well, listen, I, you know, as you mentioned, I, I was in the gallery uh, really for the first time as that space um, uh, for this Johnny Dettinger show, and that was really cool. But I want to bring it back to the Never Records and play a selection. Obviously, we are in a very difficult and unpleasant political time here in the United States, and there's a lot of talk about... Uh, our relationship with the Muslim world um, and some truly heinous politics coming out of Washington that relate to the entire Arab world, Arab-speaking world, entire Islamic world. And you, so let's start off with Jordan. You did a Never Records in Jordan. Let's play a selection and then yeah, we'll talk fantastic. a little bit about what happened or you know how that experience was uh, uh, for you. Um, why don't you just tell us quickly exactly what this is and then I'll play it. So you're about to listen to a vinyl record that was cut in Jordan and it's the sound of all of the mosques in Amman going off uh, from the Citadel which is in the center of the city and it's at the call to prayer at 7.07pm. I forget the actual date but it's gorgeous. Thank you. 
That, so that is every single mosque in Amman, Jordan, which obviously you didn't have them come in <laughs> to the space. That's a recording. That's a that field you made. recording. That's yeah, a field so recording that you made. Amman is this really beautiful city where there are seven hills. I don't know why all cities seem to have seven hills. I know Boston has seven hills. Um, and then in the center of it, it's this old ruin of this citadel that was once Roman, once Byzantine, and once uh, Syrian. And uh, if you stand up there at the right time, you get this beautiful. And uh, there was murmurations of pigeons because all these people have pigeons. So. I don't know. I can kind of hear that when I listen to the music now, which is fun. But how did the how did the Jordan experience come to happen, or what? How did you choose to go to Jordan to well, do this? Well, so the, the the amazing thing about Never Records is because there there is some expense involved. Um, a lot of people are always asking me how how do I pull it off. The reality is they the cities find me, and I've been very very lucky in the case of. Jordan, it was a gallerist that I work with named Jonathan Ferrara, who's from New Orleans, and a social entrepreneur named Hamed Masri, who was friends with these two gentlemen that were opening a new sort of design space in the old section of town. And we fundraised for about a year. It was impossible, as always. I mean, there's a funny story where I was in my studio late one night and realizing that once again I was doing a vanity project, you know, which is that painful moment in every <laughs> in every project where you're like, oh darn, I got to do this myself. Like, um, and I found this uh, consumer advocacy website from Canada that listed every airline executive's email, personal email, and so I sent out 60 emails personalized to each executive, to everybody that served Jordan. This is how you fund your arts project. Yeah, this is how you do it. You Trump. work really hard, right? And um, a couple got back to me because Middle Eastern uh, consumer relations is like better than America could ever hope for, right? Um, but they couldn't really do anything for me. And then two weeks later, I'd given up all hope. Royal Jordanian Airlines gave me 50% off, which was huge. I was able to fly musicians from the UK. I flew over a filmmaker. I flew over Jonathan from New Orleans. And it made it all possible. Um, so we set up shop in this dusty cement space. Uh, I think Saeed might be listening. Saeed Abu Jabber might be listening now from Jordan, which would be great. And shout his part, out to Saeed. Sa shout out to Saeed. And Muthana Hussein, um, they run this great space. And it was super hot. And uh, a little scary for me, but it turned out to be a very safe place. I don't think a lot of people realize, but Jordan, uh, the Jordanian economy is, receives huge funding from the U.S. as a buffer to Israel. So they share a border with Syria and Iraq. Um, the border is closed. And I had just arrived after the border closed from Syria, and everybody was really bummed out because that's where all the weed came from. <laughs> so there was like this right. pall over the creative community because they were like Jones in really hard. Um, but uh, <laughs> which is very sad. But no, the reality is, is, you know, I don't want to get too much into Middle Eastern politics, but that region was divided up arbitrarily, you know, 70, 80 years ago. And Jordanians, Syrians uh, and Lebanese and Palestinians are all part of the same ethnic groups, um, and they got divided up into different countries. 
So the reality is, is when something happens in Syria, people have cousins there from Jordan and Lebanon, and it's a real bummer. I mean, it's very dire over there, and now's the time when projects like Never Records need to happen because... Well, I think there's enough blowback, you know, and, and, and distaste for what our government is doing here that, in fact, you know, it may, be, it may benefit projects like this. And, you know, the, what are the ACLU got millions of dollars in, you know, d memberships and donations. Yeah, I gave them some. And, you know, and, and the Trump administration is talking about gutting all arts funding. Yeah. And th there, are, there are private individuals who are willing to, to, to come in. Um, not that you want to necessarily specialize in the Middle East. I know you've taken this project to a lot of different places, but we're still going to stay with the Jordan theme yeah. right here. And I'll yeah. pl play another selection from um, the Never Records actually, archive. Actually, maybe, maybe we should do a different record because in the, in the spirit of what you were just saying, I, when the Trump executive order came out about the travel ban, um, I realized that I recorded almost every a refugee from every country on that list. And wow. I spent a lot of time with those people. And if any of them could actually afford the visa process or afford the airfare or afford, like, they probably still wouldn't have made it through the vetting that was already in place. And I think that the reality is, is that these people are desperate and they're just looking for help. And they have a lot to say and a lot to teach us and a lot, to, like their music is beautiful. So yeah. I'm gonna play, we're gonna play this Sudanese refugees that I met. They came in one night, we got really, really lucky. And uh, Noura, who helps run uh, Turbo, the space I was in, managed to convince this uh, Sudanese wedding band to come in. And they're fur tribes people, so they speak this dialect that no one could understand. And they were dressed to the nines, suits and ties. Um, the singer, the lead singer, who has the best voice you've ever heard, had like a hand-dyed hijab. And they were super sketched out because they were all in the same room and, you know, where we were was very exposed. And eventually some a black car pulled up, as, as would happen at Turbo. And they, they were like, almost left before I gave them the record. But so we recorded this song, and as I was mixing it, we all started dancing, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. But I could say that about pretty much every Never, Never Records. But so this is one guy on keyboard and one singer, but when you hear this guy's keyboard, you're going to freak and out. And this is Sudanese refugees in Jordan. Yeah, there's about a community of uh, between three and 5,000. Um, they face a lot of discrimination because there's... Cause most of the refugee population is from um, white Arab countries. I mean, I don't know how to really describe it. But they face a lot of discrimination and the threat of deportation all, all the time. So here we go. This band's called Sadasimo.
Hey, this is Richard Fleming on Work by Work on air at the White Hotel. It's a pop-up radio lounge. You really ought to come visit us. We're all just lounging in the back on couches and playing some of the incredible music that Ted Reederer has recorded as part of his uh, Never Records project. That was, geez. Sada Simo. Yeah. Two Sudanese in refugees in Jordan. Uh, Jake Nussbaum is here from clocktower.org. Ted Reederer is here from Howl and Ted Reederer Productions. <laughs> and I'm Richard Fleming. Um, and uh, Jake? Yeah, I got, a que- I got a question, Ted. And maybe I can try and frame this a little bit. So Richard and I worked on the Radio Shack project, that which was a clock tower collaboration with Richard and it was uh, for anyone who's listening out there who doesn't know a shack made of salvaged materials that broadcasted live pirate radio in Port-au-Prince, Haiti for about two weeks and there are definitely some parallels and synergies to, to Ted's project with Never Records and I wanted to ask you about why use why do you why do you cut these to vinyl and why the record as an object has has meaning for you? I, I mean I know there was a early comparison to Lomax, but in those days that was the actual way you recorded music. Now in 2017, there's a ton of different options for why for how to record things. So I was wondering if you could just speak to. I mean, one thing that Richard and I thought about when we were in Haiti was like, we should make records or tapes out of this. But then we were like. Well, who, how would people listen to this? There's no community of record collecting there. There's no turntables. We ended up making these mixtapes, but we're not. But those are for really people in the U.S. We're not sending them back. There's no tape players. So maybe you could speak to like the, the, the power of this archive and the power of these objects and why you chose to, to cut things to wax. Yeah, so I'm not really a vinyl snob. I mean, I, I actually listen to music mostly digitally, but I have lots of vinyl. Um, seven inches and 12 inches. So this year, I'm happy to announce my Victrola will turn 100 years old, right? So I have this beautiful cabinet Victrola that's portable, even though it weighs 90 pounds, probably. And let me, let me give the audience a word of advice. If you ever get a working Victrola, everybody that has always fantasized about having a working Victrola will give you all of their 78s. So I actually have quite an amazing collection of 78s. And anyone that comes to my house in the summer will tell you that's what we listen to in the, on the patio. Um, this is a technology that's 100 years old, right? And it sounds great. This is the only technology I can trust. I was just trying to load a bunch of images onto an iPad the other day, and I found it so frustrating. I had to go through all of these uh, hurdles just to get this media onto an iPad and and it was about proprietary and app store and blah 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 and all this horrible things. Vinyl <laughs> is the only media that we know that will be around forever. If after the gas wars, after World War 4, you could play this record that we're about to play you right now with a cockroach leg because it is this beautiful technology that is simply sound waves etched on a record. So that's my long answer as to why I do yeah. vinyl. Vinyl is a trusted and true medium. Um, for example, the Voyager space probe has a golden record on it because yeah. when Carl Sagan was tasked with how do we play music for 
uh, aliens that might not know anything about us, he chose a record, which I thought was a very smart thing to do. Um, but the, the reality is, is, of course, everybody in Jordan wanted digital copies of their music. And of course, I gave it to them. In fact, I'm very open source about that. I don't care. People can sell their recordings. People can profit off of me. That makes me happy, actually. And, and uh, I've made demos for people. There was a woman in New Orleans that had just come out of a very abusive relationship, and she needed a demo to apply to at the children's stage at Jazz Fest. I happily gave her her digital file. I will happily load it onto a jump drive. I will send it to one of the thousand FTP sites. I don't care, just as long as I have my one vinyl record because that's what I care about. Because, I mean, look at it. So you guys can't see this in Radioland, but I cut exclusively to clear vinyl. So to me, it's like an insect trapped in amber. It's this beautiful object. And in this era of like disposable technology where you know, the iPhone you bought three weeks ago, which was two years old and refurbished, is totally obsolete already. Like, the record will never be obsolete. It's a beautiful thing, and I trust it implicitly. Well, you, you, you and I have also talked about, I mean, I remember you telling me about uh, the sort of awesomeness of this technology also that, you know, I don't think the mass public always ever really knew like, how does that work? I mean, yeah, what is that needle is like, tra it's traveling through a groove in this piece of plastic. How on earth am I hearing what I'm hearing because of that? And that's part of it for you, I know. So that's a crucial part of the project. And again, this is an art project and it's in the tradition of Rikrit Teravanija's lunch where he made lunch in the gallery for people or Thomas Hershorn who made a reading room in a Bronx housing project. Um, part of the process is I walk people through the recording process and then I have a microscope so I show them their sound waves under a microscope and I find that through synesthesia you can put the brakes on the tumult of our culture for like a little second and kind of re-enchant it re-enchants the world and that's again that's what I think artists should be focused on and uh, I want to just kind of like slap people awake or you know have them do something that they don't do every day. I mean, it sounds so s stupid and sophomoric, but that's that's what we're that's where we're at right now in culture. We have to like wake people up because everybody is so tr busy trying to make money, try to get their kids good educations, try to you know pay the rent. Like we need to re-enchant the world because the world is a very enchanted place. I mean, that's my philosophy. Tell us. Let's let's go back and and we're gonna hear. Are we gonna hear one more from the Jordan episode of Never Records? What is this piece? So this is a very special record. It's uh, features Connor O'Kane, who's a musician that I met in Northern Ireland uh, in Derry. He's from Donegal. He teaches horticulture. Teaches how to make wines. That he always brings me like dandelion wine or rhubarb wine. He's like the best guy ever. He looks like Willie Nelson's little cousin too, which. It's kind of awesome. Um, and he was supposed to come to Jordan, but couldn't make it. So he recorded a track, just a cappella Irish singing, with this DJ from Radio Foil in Northern Ireland named Stephen McCauley, who's one of my heroes. And they sent me this raw track. 
And I added a drone, which happens to be from the mosque across the street from Never Records, which got into almost every recording accidentally. And then I had a musician I flew in from Liverpool named S.J. Downs, who's an amazing uh, blues guitarist, traditional style. Um, he plays harmonica. You'll hear his, him playing harmonica. And this wonderful kid I met in um, Jordan named Harag, who's playing the Daduk, which is an Ar Armenian clarinet, basically. But if you listen to how good this kid is, he, he's in his early 20s, and he's like virt, virt, a virtuoso. So essentially what I did was I chopped Connor's voice up into verses, and then I had a call and response between a blues musician from Liverpool and this kid from Armenia in Jordan. So it's kind of like a multicultural sound clash. And the, the song is called The Flowers of Guantanamo, so it's kind of about the refugee crisis. So... She rises A harvest of seeds They are blown Higher than mountains Born o'er the ocean's foam From the heart of the green Caribbean To those grey Chaldean slopes Where have weathered many's the martial dream and hope. <laughs> Through scorching heat and parching truth and biting cold, the fiery pulse of life it knows it's only mission now to grow, the bud to blossom, draw near those who find more fragrant than the rose, those flowers of Guantanamo. Orange blossoms spread by pollinators eager fed as rich red anger's twisted root assimilates the bitter truth of economic coexistences far beyond these razored fences and the mediated new consensus that this fresh flower and blood kicked snow never knew Guantanamo. Unheeded in the parcher lounge, the girls that left their native towns in Minehead, Swansea, Keithley, Perth, 
They failed to find a life of worth No hanging round the old playground There off to chase the stream they found And become too if it may be so More flowers of Guantanamo You're listening to some of the very unique productions of Never Records, Ted Reeder project, uh, in which he goes all over the world, essentially offering people an opportunity to make a record, cuts it directly to vinyl. And uh, where where are we going to go next? Where, where, what's the next stop on our tour? On our tour or in the future of Never Records? That's the question. We're going to go to New Orleans, I think. Um, tell, I us have, about, tell us about doing the Never Records project in New Orleans. So, again, New Orleans was this beg, borrow, and steal proposition, and I couldn't have done it without Jonathan Ferrara, the gallerist that um, loaned me his old gallery space, and two collectors, uh, Nick Mayer and Jessica Bride, and then when we finally committed to do it after eight, it was it took about 14 months. I mean, these take a long time. There's nothing romantic about it. No one just says, hi, Ted, I'd like you to do this then. Um, I remember I was in the supermarket and Jonathan Farrar's called me and he goes, look, they're not going to do it. They're not going to give us any money. What do you want to do? Just tell me. I'll back you, whatever you want to do. And I was like, let's just do it. So we begged, borrowed, and stealed. And then the thing that happens is... We got voted one of the best of the year in New Orleans. The city of New Orleans gave us money, finally. People jump on um, because it's a it's an important project because, I mean, again, I think providing someone with an ear that's relatively pure of heart, I mean, I'm not that pure of heart, but, like, when it comes to recording music, I am trying to be as pure of heart as I can. That's a gift because... In this world, no one really listens to anybody. Do you know what I mean? Which is ironic that we're on a radio program. But um, <laughs> to truly give that gift of like listening and then in the case of Never Records where you're working or workshopping this song, that's a gift. And it's really a, a really important thing, you know. So that's what the project's about in the end. And so we set up shop near Lee Circle. I was there in 2012. In four weeks, I recorded 140 performances. So if you do the math, that's four or five a day, which is nuts. I was like Fat Elvis at the end of it because Abita Beer sponsored it. Could you could you like just walk us through a day? You know, I think the practicalities of this project are really interesting. Are you, do you just have an open door policy? How do you how do you get how do you invite people into the space? What does your what does your day look like? You know, if you're doing four or five of these recordings a day, 
I don't know if it's 33 or 45, sorry. Um, it depends on the city, obviously, and um, you have to adapt to the city itself. So New Orleans, I got really lucky because I knew these guys that ran the local rock magazine, a newsprint magazine. Um, so we put an ad, they gave me an ad, and the Arts Council of New Orleans put out a open call. But um, essentially because it's self-funded and because there's not a lot of money, it's just me trying to cope, basically. Um, and I, tr I have a problem saying no to anybody, so it's pretty insane. Like, when the door is open, till the, someone may walk in and say, oh, well, hey, I play the violin, can I make a record? And I'll try to squeeze them in. Um, New Orleans was kind of the the most orgiastic. I don't think I could ever repeat it. I, yeah, I everybody is, in, is a musician. I mean, every musician in, yeah. in, in the United States lives in New Orleans. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, but, yeah, so a lot of them were like, okay, is this session over? Because I'm going to the next bespoke record recording session. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have to say, this isn't the most, like, it's not the most original idea. There's tons of people that do that. And your Radio Shack program sounds like the same thing in a way. And it's, I, I think, but there's a reason there's so many. Do you know what I sure. mean? Sure. Because. Well, just the, the engagement, the, the ability to go somewhere and invite people into this thing that you have conjured out of nothing. Yeah. You know, and suddenly the, the enthusiasm that we had from the musicians from all over the place who came into the Radio Shack was, you know, it's incredibly, it's emotionally moving. It's a spiritual experience then for you and, and their sharing. You know, we, yeah. had, we had local musicians there who, you know, n nobody wanted to hear shit from what they ever said, you know? And then, oh my God, come on. You know, we, it didn't even matter if we were broadcasting. You know, it's like the, the, the experience of and being the there and having people want to talk to you. Having that sanctioned space that you, it's a third space or something that you yeah. create that's, that's outside of all the different uh, ways that music is produced and, and received. It's like this, this utopian kind of place. Yeah, it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with fame, which is... Magic happens when you remove those constraints from the creative process, always. I mean, I have this... I don't want to talk too much because we got more... I was going to say, we're going to run out of time. But I got a great story from Lisbon. I was in Lisbon <laughs> recording socialist collectives because there's this great tradition where they have this parade in May and all of the neighborhood collectives come together and do a float or a, a marching band. And, and I was in this, in Muraria, which is where uh, the Turks were in Lisbon. And I was in this like very scary sports club, the Club Desportivo de Muraria. And there was like dudes in tracksuits with shaved heads and missing teeth. And it was pretty sketchy. And a, a, a very big and tough friend of mine said, that place is scary, watch out. Um, <laughs> And I was in there with this anthropologist, and th that's where Fado originated, which is the blues of Portugal. And um, they, I was talking to the this lady, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw the just the anthropologist gesticulating wildly with this like thug dude, and I was like, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. <laughs> but what was happening was 
the the father of the club was saying, we're going to spend our money and hire Fado musicians so that this guy can hear what we do. Right? Oh, so we, maybe we have time for we one more We have five time. minutes. We have time for one more time. So anyway, the lights dimmed. They sent out for musicians. They had a Fado. I had hot chestnuts and agua pay. And I felt so bad I tried to pay them. And the anthropologist was like, no, you don't understand. You wanted to hear what they had to say. And that was the gift. So this next track, and I guess we'll probably end with this. Or I don't know. I don't know how long, how long it is. the track is. It looks, yeah, yeah, yeah we may. Uh, it's by Katie Red. This is from New Orleans. Katie Red is a bounce MC, um, and she's amazing. And this is all a cappella. I don't know if she's ever done this before. So she's doing the drums and the everything. Fantastic. Katie Red from the New Orleans Never Record Project. Yes. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Katie Red from New Orleans. Now, that's like the... Uh, we're in a whole... Uh, I don't even know where to start with it. You know, how do you describe that scene that that comes out of? Well, that's bounce music, but uh, this particular track, she's doing a cappella to herself. 
And she was super excited about it. She's like, oh, we, you want to do some more? Um, it's like a conversation between two or three different characters. She was like talking to herself. She was doing the foghorn thing. She was doing everything. Ted, this project is totally amazing. Thank I'm you so, so much. glad that you came down here to tell us about it and share it with us. I Thank feel like you. we have we barely have scratched the surface of this. This is Richard Fleming on Work by Work at the Wythe Hotel on air and representing Clock Tower Radio out of Red Hook, Brooklyn. Clocktower.org. That's my, that's my co-host, Jake Nussbaum, right here. We have Ted Reederer. Uh, thank you so much, man, for bringing this incredible vault of, of your recordings to share with us. Thank you so much. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do, honestly. I don't really listen to music anymore. I listen to Never Record stuff. Listen, if people want to know more about you and your projects and what you're doing, what, what, are there some online resources? What, how can they check you out? Yeah, there's tons of online resources, neverrecords.net and tedreaderer.com, R-I-E-D-E-R-E-R.com. Um, you can see some of my visual art, which Never Records is kind of a visual art project too, if that makes any sense. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And anytime that you guys want to do a project, I'll bring that laid to Haiti if you want. Fantastic. Yeah, I think we should all, all right. the three of us should all go down to Haiti and, and bring the lathes and cut some wax. Yeah, they'll love it. It's like a formal family portrait. It's beautiful. All right. All right. Well, thanks, that's Dad. about it for our. Well, that's about it yeah. for the clock tower segment, for, uh, for at least for today. That's it. That's it. That's it. Clock Tower Records. We came. Clocktower.org. <laughs> we came. We saw. We conquered. We're we are done. so pleased to be here. We're gonna go have our 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 shift drink. You've been listening to Work by Work on Air, a series of live conversations and performances exploring creativity and storytelling. These events are produced by Work by Work, a creative agency based in Brooklyn, New York, dedicated to collaboration and the idea of celebrating the work we all do. To learn more, visit workxwork.com and wxwonair.com. Thanks for listening.